Grab your mason jars, strap on that apron. It's time for Canning with the Diva. Making her mark across the globe. Teaching you how to safely preserve delicious recipes. Please welcome your host, Diane Devereaux, the Canning Diva. everyone, Diane Devereaux, the Canning Diva here, and I just want to say I hope each of you tuning in are having an awesome day. It is raining here in Michigan, but that's okay. I am indoors talking to all of you, and I couldn't be happier. Today's episode, super excited because it is a trailer from my previous episode, Economical Canning Recipes During Inflation. And I wanted to take some time out, as I shared with you in that episode, to dive a bit deeper into how to safely preserve chicken in a jar for long-term food storage. Now, when I talk chicken, I'm going to use that word a lot throughout this uh, episode. Just know it could be any poultry. Um, So if you happen to have pheasants or or whatever um, winged animal you'd like to consume, um, this podcast is definitely for you. And the reason um, I wanted to dive a bit deeper is we are seeing food costs increasing left, right, and center. And chicken specifically has had a drastic 8.5% increase just beginning of this year. I mean, we're, we're only in May, folks. So my fear is as we continue to, you know, go throughout the rest of this year, uh, they're predicting it's going to get worse. And from what I'm seeing in my local grocery store, it's definitely getting worse. And I don't know about you, but if you purchase your chicken like I do, they have limits now. Uh, Well, they've had them for a while, but more so than ever, I can only buy two two flats at a time. And so I don't know what you're experiencing where you live, but it's, it's getting pretty hairy out there, folks. So today I want to talk with you about the important tips to help you get the most out of every jar of chicken. And I want to provide you with the instructions and the processing time so that you can maximize your yield. And I'll I'll touch a little bit on some of the delicious recipes and seasonings that you can incorporate into your chicken, Um, whether it's, you know, after the fact and you're just canning it plain, or if you want to pre-season your chicken so that way you have it already flavored based on, you know, whatever recipe you may be creating at that time. Now, on my website at canningdiva.com, I have a huge variety of um, what I call my my seasoning uh, packets, if you will. I've created my own blends. And so the on my website, I give you, I think it's like three or four different seasoning blends that you can make on your own using the seasonings already in your cupboard. You just mix them up and then I give you the ratios of what to add to each jar of chicken. So that way, while it's processing, which essentially when it's processing, it's cooking, it is absorbing all of those seasonings. So now it's pre-flavored chicken. So pretty, pretty cool stuff. Um, And then, you know, if you have questions uh, after listening to the podcast, by all means, reach out to me. Uh, at my website at canningdiva.com. You're welcome to shoot me an email. My email address is diane at canningdiva.com. 
And then you can also follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, they all have messaging capabilities. So shoot me a message. And I, I'm, I'm pretty good at responding because I want you to have everything at your disposal so that you can make sound decisions in your home kitchen. Okay, so let's get started with a few preparation tips. The reason um, I want to start with prep is because that's where we start anytime we're home canning, right? We've got to either prep the ingredients or prep the meat in this case. And I've got some good tips to make things a bit easier for you and um, give you some, well, I, I want to give you knowledge because unfortunately there are some individuals out there in various canning groups and online that you know, are pretty firm that if you don't do this, it's not safe. And and I want to touch on a few of those tips because, um, yeah, that's not always the case. And so I want to dispel any misnomers. I want to give you sound information and make, make life easy for you when you're canning chicken at home. Okay, so to get started, the biggest thing when we're prepping our meat is we want to remove excess fat and skin. That doesn't mean that everything has to be skinless and fatless. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I make beef burgundy, I want a nice marbled piece of beef, right? That doesn't change at all when we're talking about chicken. And why is that natural fat content is what gives us the ability to have a nice tender piece of meat. If we strip away everything and throw it in a jar, we do run the risk of things drying out. And we don't want to have that happen. We want to enjoy everything we're canning because we're going to be consuming it, right? So when I say excess fat and skin, for instance, if you can't get boneless, skinless chicken breasts at the store and all you find are maybe skin on or split breasts, um, you can leave a certain portion of that skin on to keep a certain level of fat content in that jar. Totally fine. So that way your breast doesn't dry out, or I should say your chicken breast doesn't dry out. <laughs> um, but um, excess fat, because, you know, when they're, when they're running these through the processors at major uh, manufacturers and their um, processing plants, I should say, you know, they're, they're working quick. And so not every, you know, little piece of, of fat and skin, and sometimes I've even caught a feather in there, uh, you know, it's not all gone. And so we do want to take the time to, to inspect each, each chicken breast or thigh and remove anything on appealing, and then, of course, any excess fat or skin. Now, when you're canning thighs, um, I, depending on how I'm going to use them, I may leave the skin on. If I'm just raw packing the chicken thighs uh, and let's say they're boneless, um, but they have the skin on, I'm okay with that because I'm more than likely going to use that uh, skin on uh, in a particular recipe. But when I'm making, for instance, my Asian chicken thigh recipe, which I know many of you have, have made yourself and, and love it. And I'm kudos. I'm so excited. And I, I love it when you love my recipes, but just a, my daughter, it's her favorite. Um, I don't want the skin on that thigh because I'm going to be covering it with that amazing uh, sauce. And I want to be able to just dump it into a pan, heat it up, make a side of rice and some fresh broccoli, and then boom, I've got a really nice meal in a matter of minutes. 
I don't necessarily want to leave the skin on those thighs or the bone in per se, because now I have this painstaking process of removing the bone and removing the skin while this it's covered in sauce in my pan. And I really just, you know, why, why do that to yourself now? Caveat times are getting tough and we might have to just work with what we got in the store, right? It's not wrong to leave that skin and bone in on that thigh if you're making that particular recipe. Just know you're going to have some work after the fact. But again, neither way is wrong. This notion that if there's any fat in a jar, your lid won't seal and it's not safe and it's going to go rancid and all of this hoopla we keep hearing, that can't be further from the truth. I will often recommend if you have a boneless skinless chicken breast to add a quarter teaspoon of olive oil to the meat, especially if you're worried about it getting overly dry as it, as it cooks during processing, that didn't harm the meat. That's not going to make it go rancid. So definitely know that if you can only get access to boneless skinless, you can still put it in a jar and it's still going to come out beautiful. Now, on the flip side of that, my next tip focuses on bone in legs and bone in thighs. Keep that bone in if you're going to be putting it in a jar by itself and then later using it. Reason being is it actually speeds up the canning processing time. So for normal uh, processing, you're looking at, um, you know, it's just meat, no bone. 90 minutes for quarts and 75 minutes for pints. You can shave off 15 minutes for each when you leave the bone in. The reason is it's a less dense of a sub of a subject or a food, and it doesn't take as long for the heat to penetrate. And so therefore you can in, uh, speed up that processing time a bit, making you stand a little less longer in front of your stovetop. <laughs> But uh, for those of us who also use a digital canner, I guess it really doesn't matter, does it? We get to set that baby and walk away. But uh, keeping the legs uh, with the bones is also going to make your prep time so much easier. My goodness, do you really want to stand there and have to remove all that from the bone raw? You'll be there for hours. So um, leave it in. And, and here's a way in which we use that because I think leg meat is often forgotten about when we talk about canning. Everyone naturally gravitates to uh, thighs, boneless skinless thighs or chicken breasts. But the leg meat is, is truly delicious and it's super easy to preserve in a jar. What we used to do growing up is we would remove any excess fat and skin because sometimes there's a lot more hanging on there than needs to be. Um, but we would still leave that meat covered with a layer of skin. And we would use a wide mouth quart jar and we would pack in a rotation, you know, meat side down, then bone side down, meat side down, then bone side down. And we would just kind of work our way in a little circle into the jar and then plunk one in the middle and a, possibly a small one on top, depending how big the chicken legs are. And we would wipe our jar rim and, you know, get the lid and ring on there and process that. The beauty in doing so is those working on the farm would often take a jar out or two, depending on the size of the crew. And when it was lunchtime, they just pop that lid open and eat the chicken legs right from the jar. So it's, it's, it's pretty simple and it's a great way to have 
you know, some extra protein on hand. Now, if you, you know, aren't going to be out on the farm eating it in your truck, not to worry, to heat those up or pop them even in your air fryer to just give them a little crisp, they're already cooked through. You're now just kind of firming that up a bit. It's a super quick and healthy way to get some protein in your diet. And I'm seeing that legs are still in a pretty good supply at the store and they aren't too bad, at least in my area, price-wise. So you know what I'll be doing uh, this weekend. It's probably going to be one of the first recipes I start with just because of its easeability and my lack of mobility. <laughs> okay. Now, another tip um, that I'm going to touch on is um, regarding ground chicken, okay, or ground poultry. The reason I want to spend a, a, just a, a few minutes on this particular topic is not so much due to safety. It's due to the food being palatable. So uh, I've seen some individuals uh, be very worried about putting ground chicken or ground beef into a jar. Um, and so what they do, because they probably have been either told some misinformation or uh, they heard that whole hoopla about, oh, if you don't have water in a jar, it won't thermally process properly and blah, blah, blah. So what they do is they take their ground chicken, they don't fry it up, they smash it into a jar, and then they add water. And then wonder why it's so disgusting after processing that they don't ever want to can it again. It's because they didn't take the preparation time to properly cook and brown the ground chicken prior to putting it into a jar. And you don't add water. You do not need to add water to your ground chicken or poultry. If you do, whether it's beef, chicken, poultry, pork, it is going to be the mushiest and most unpleasing texture that you now are very, very limited, if you, if you want to eat it at all, to what you might be able to, to use that meat with. So if you want to have some jars of ground chicken on your pantry shelf, all you need to do is get out a, a frying pan, fry it up, Go ahead and drain any excess liquid or fat um, because it typically they put in a certain level, uh, especially with your ground beef, right? And then pack it very tight into a jar and then you just process as normal. Now, sometimes individuals would like to have patties, okay, uh, in a jar so that that way they just, it's already cooked. They can just heat it up and have that with their breakfast or as a side, you name it, whatever, however you eat it. Um, patties are a really good way, especially if you have um, access to some wide mouth quart jars to, you know, feed the family quick and easy. Again, you want to shape your patty, season it however you choose. And then what you want to do is get it in a pan with just a little bit of olive oil uh, or butter if you like to use butter. I don't use butter, but uh, I know those that do, so I'm not going to poo-poo it. Uh, but go ahead and just lightly brown each side of that patty, let it cool, and then pack it in your jars. And you just stack them on top of each other and then process as you would. It is far more advantageous to brown it first versus 
you know, shaping your patties and packing them into a jar raw because when you do that, they're all going to solidify together and you're going to have a very difficult time tearing apart those patties when you go to eat them and you're going to wind up getting very frustrated and smashing them with a spatula and having ground chicken anyways. <laughs> so definitely fry those up first and you will be very, very pleased. Okay. Now, the last tip I have that's regarding prep work uh, prior to processing is if you raise your own chickens for consumption, if you have fryers on hand and you, you are doing this because you're on a homestead or um, you have an, an amazing farm, uh, kudos, I, I miss that, especially now living in the city. Um, if you have your own chickens and you're slaughtering them, please make sure that you chill them after dressing them. And you wanna chill that bird for at least six to 12 hours before you attempt to do any further preparation and put them into a jar. Reason being is you definitely don't wanna go from a live animal, okay, at that temperature to a jar. You wanna get it chilled off. It's gonna also help you know, some bacteria can't handle the cold, so it's going to also stop any bacteria growth and kill those that can't have cooler temperatures. And then after that 6 to 12 hours, go ahead, pull it out, prep it as you see fit, cut it as you see fit, and then um, pack it into your jars and get it in the canner. Okay. I hope these tips are opening your eyes and giving you some great ideas. Let's uh, now switch gears and talk a bit about a hot topic that many um, will message me about or they'll comment on certain posts uh, that I place on, on uh, um, Facebook or Instagram. It is the infamous, you know, at, to add water or not to add water. And what it comes down to is your personal preference. There isn't a right or wrong or a safe or unsafe if you want to put your chicken thighs in a jar without adding and covering them with water, okay? The addition of water isn't going to hurt anything. You're actually going to be making some broth, right? But you definitely do not want to exceed an inch and a quarter headspace. You want to do a full generous inch of headspace so that that way, because now you've increased the volume of the jar, you've now added water that's going to be far higher than the chicken level. And now you are going to possibly get that liquefied fat when the jar water's bubbling onto that jar rim. It's actually, in my opinion, an easy way to have your lid not seal. So you won't see a lot of my jars of meat with water in them, just straight up water, for the reason that I don't want anything I can control to prevent that lid from sealing. And obviously, okay, I'm not talking about those random occurrences because they will happen. I'm talking about you just put 14 pints of chicken breasts in the canner, double stack that Presto canner, went through that painstaking process, waited for it to, you know, the 75 minutes plus the cool down, and uh, what, 10 lids didn't seal out of 14? Oh my goodness. Like I would, I, I don't want to go through that and I don't want you to go through that. 
So not covering your chicken breast with water isn't going to harm anything and it doesn't make the meat unsafe. There is liquid within the fiber of that chicken. And so it's going to get all the thermal processing it needs. It doesn't need to be surrounded with water. Okay. That canner is going to get over 240 degrees. Trust me. It's getting into the center of every molecule of that chicken. And it will create its own broth. Okay. You're not going to have a full can of broth, but you're going to have, and you're going to see after processing, you know, a good couple inches of broth in there. And that's natural because the heat is forcing that moisture out of that meat, out of that chicken. And it is going where? Right back into the jar. So um, whether you add water or not, it, it's entirely up to you. Okay. Um, same with fat. There's this misnomer that if there's fat in the jar, that that's a negative. Okay. Um, you definitely want some fat. You know, we talked about it earlier in the tips. You don't want your chicken breast to come out like shredded cardboard. Okay. You want it to be tender. So let's, let's um, make sure that, you know, you know, concretely that if you want to add a little bit of fat or add some extra oil, um, just to make sure you're providing a nice, uh, you know, texture, uh, you may do so. Uh, the other thing I want to make sure I touch on for all of you listening today is maintaining that inch and a quarter headspace, as well as wiping every jar rim with a washcloth dipped in vinegar. The vinegar is a, it's a natural antibacterial. Uh, it, it, it also helps you remove any residue or grease or fat or anything from that jar rim. And I, I like to say it gives that jar a leg up, right? We're, we're doing everything we can. We want to stay safe. We want to make sure that our lids seal. So give it a good cleaning. And when I say that, I don't just mean wipe the rim top. Go ahead and get your washcloth with some, you know, get some good vinegar on there. Don't just, don't, you don't have to worry about having too much. I mean, of course, wring it out if it's sopping wet, but you want to take that washcloth and you want to pinch the jar rim. So you're actually getting inside the jar just a little bit with that vinegar and you're working your way all the way around the rim. That is going to help you reduce your lid failures. And especially if you do have a certain level of grease or fat content in that jar, it's going to help prevent that from causing the lid to not seal. All right. So we have touched on a lot of the prep and some of the like, yes, you may, do's and don'ts. Um, but what I want to now switch gears into is the uh, canning chicken and poultry instructions and also uh, talk a little bit about a processing chart. Now, I do happen to have this information on my website at canningdiva.com. I also have it in my cookbook, The Complete Guide to Pressure Canning. I have an entire chapter dedicated to canning meat as well as wild game. So for those of you that uh, either raise your own or do some hunting, um, this, is, this is a good book for you. The Complete Guide to Pressure Canning really does have it all. And for those of you new to pressure canning and you're seeing with everything going on in the world, uh, like you, you really need to, to, to get that pressure canner going and not be afraid, that book, The Complete Guide to Pressure Canning, is an amazing go-to. And I'm not just tooting my horn. I take it from the thousands of very positive five-star reviews 
by folks who have been using it now for, for a couple of years. Um, everything that uh, is in that book, me and my family make and consume and can regularly. So, um, you know, I'm not going to tell you to make something if I'm not eating it myself. Okay, so on my website, I have given you, again, the website's canningdiva.com. I have given you a nice handy-dandy chart to gauge how much um, you're going to require, as far as chicken goes, uh, to yield the standard recipe amounts. And what I mean by that is a typical recipe is going to yield 7 quarts or 14 pints. And so to do that, I'll run through the chart with you if you're taking notes so that you can get a good idea of what you're going to need to either pull out of the freezer and thaw so you can get it into a jar, or when you're heading to the grocery store, how much you're going to need to purchase in order to yield seven quarts or 14 pints. Now the beauty of home canning and preserving is if all you can get access to, like me, is two flats of chicken, it's not really going to matter. You're just going to keep shoving it into jars until you run out of those two flats, right? And then whatever that yield is, you pop it in the pressure canner and you process it. So this is just some math to give you a hand. Um, but by all means, you can increase or decrease this math based on what you have available to you. Okay, so if you're going to look strictly at boneless chicken breasts, you're going to want about 22 to 28 chicken breasts to yield either the seven quarts or the 14 pints. Now, this math is based on a standard chicken breast size, which is roughly five to six ounces. We see them far, far bigger in the stores nowadays, depending on which brand you're buying or where it's coming from, you know, which farm, what have you. So it is relative to the size of the breast. If you, like me, um, get access to, um, you know, farm grown or grass fed or free roam chickens, the breasts are going to be far smaller than some of your uh, more predominant names like Tyson or even uh, store brand names like Meyer. Meyer chicken breasts are ginormous and they're essentially two breasts for the, you know, math of one. So keep that in mind. When I speak of a boneless chicken breast, I'm talking about your average size chicken breast. If they're large, then you would probably need half of that. You would probably then only need maybe 12 to 14 to yield the seven quarts or the 14 pints. But keep in mind, you're really packing that in there, okay? So you're just going to keep packing until there's almost no room left and um, there's no right or wrong way. And the, the yields are all relative, to the size of the actual chicken breast. Now, if you're doing boneless chicken thighs, you're going to want to have about 40 to 55 of those thighs on hand to yield your seven quarts or your 14 pints. Because you're going to get roughly eight thighs into a quart and roughly four thighs into a pint. Now, if you happen to switch gears and find that you have bone in chicken breasts, you're looking at about 14 chicken breasts with the bone in that will yield the seven quarts or the 14 pints. With the chicken thighs bone in, it reduces down to about 35 to 42 bone in chicken thighs to yield the seven quarts or the 14 pints. 
if you are focusing your efforts on ground chicken, you're going to want to have about 14 pounds to yield seven quarts or 14 pints because you're going to fit almost a, a pound of ground pre-cooked uh, chicken in every pint. It's crazy how it cooks up and where it fits, right? <laughs> now, for those of you that want to um, preserve any of the meat without the bone, as well as ground, your processing time is 75 minutes for pints and 90 minutes for quarts. If you're preserving with the bone in, you're processing for 65 minutes for pints and 75 minutes for quarts. And your PSI, the standard is 10 PSI for a weighted gauge, 11 PSI for a dial gauge. But if you live in a higher elevation, you need to know your elevation. So you need to know how much more pressure you need to give it because it means you need a hotter temperature. Okay, again, that for more detail is on my website at canningdiva.com. And you're going to find that uh, under the meat tab under recipes, okay? All right, so now regardless of, of how you are uh, uh, preserving this, whether you are choosing to add water or not, um, you're just basically, as I said, you're going to fill every jar, give it a generous inch head space. And if you're adding water, make sure you're using your air bubble remover tool and you're removing any of the bubbles or air pockets that are kind of you know stuck in there, you'll be surprised how much water you need to add once you start moving, especially like the chicken breasts around. It's gonna um, you know pull and, and put all of that water into the various crevices. You didn't realize they were there until you started moving it around. And then again, do not add any water if you're canning ground poultry. Uh, it's pretty simple, folks. You're then going to wipe your jar with a washcloth dipped in vinegar and add your lid and ring, hand tighten, and then process according to the chart uh, times I just gave you. And then the biggest tip I share with everybody when you're pressure canning is once your pressure canner timer has gone off and it, you're done, you do not remove the, the weighted gauge or anything. You just let it naturally cool down until the PSI drops to zero. And just be prepared. That could take upwards of a half an hour or more. It depends on how much is in the canner, the size of the canner. There's a lot of variables. So just, just let it sit. Once everything has been cooled down to where it's safe to remove that lid, uh, I still encourage you to allow those jars to sit in that canner with the lid off for about 10 minutes, undisturbed. What's happening while it's cooling with that lid off is we are going to start experiencing the vacuum seal. And we don't want to disturb that jar. We don't want to tip it over. We don't want to jostle it because we do not want to do anything to impede that vacuum seal. After the 10 minutes of leaving it undisturbed, then place it onto your cutting board and allow it to cool. All right. So let's uh, now transition into uh, seasonings. I, I love this part because this is where you can get creative and have lots of fun. 
Um, and whether you're headed to my website at canningdiva.com to look at the various spice blends I've created or not, just know that you can't go wrong because at the end of the day, what you're putting into that jar for, from a seasoning standpoint is simply going to enhance the flavor of how you intend to use it after the fact, after it's been in storage. So I tell people to use uh, common herbs and spices that you would regularly cook with. Salt when canning chicken is optional. That salt does nothing for the preservation or the safety process. It is merely for flavor. So if you are on a low sodium diet, skip the salt. Don't even need to add it. For those of you that want to add a little salt and pepper to each jar, go right ahead. There's, there's no harm, no foul. Um, sometimes I tell people that if you want to add, maybe uh, you can add a teaspoon of minced garlic to every pint and two teaspoons to every quart. You may do so. You could even throw in, a, a, you know, a few garlic cloves if you wish. Um, those are the probably the most popular and common ones, uh, but you're welcome to take it a step further. Let's say, for instance, you love to make chicken tacos and uh, chicken enchiladas with your home canned chicken. Instead of having to heat it up in a pan and add the seasoning to flavor the chicken and then create your meal, add your taco seasoning to each jar of raw chicken before it processes. And now, while it's cooking in the canner, you've just permeated all of those amazing flavors right into the chicken. It's absolutely delicious. And you may do so um, even if it's, uh, let's say, uh, chili flavors, you could do, um, I like to sometimes add curry. I will do a um, teaspoon of uh, dried curry powder and a teaspoon of ground ginger to every pint and then double it for your quarts. And just, it, oh my gosh, it's amazing. So when I go to make my chicken curry soup, I've already got a good foundation started. Um, so yeah, there, there's some really fun things that you can do. You can even add your fresh herbs. So if you grow your own fresh herbs in your garden or in a, in a flower pot out on your, on your deck, uh, you may go ahead and pinch off a few leaves of basil. You could actually, you know, use your thumb and thread a, a sprig of thyme and sprinkle that in there. Get creative and have fun because it really just will enhance the, the meal you're making down the road that much more. Um, okay, so again, any questions, any ideas you come up with, anything you want to run past me, please reach out to me. I am very available. Uh, of course, I'm not in front of a computer every moment or in front of my phone every moment, uh, but I'm very responsive when it comes to, you know, messaging me on Facebook or Instagram. You're also welcome to email me. My email address is diane at canningdiva.com. Go ahead and engage with me and, and don't, don't be afraid to send me your questions because no question is a dumb question. You're learning and that's my job as an educator to teach. And I would never, ever, ever make you feel uh, silly for asking a question because that's my job. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to make sure that you feel confident and safe and well-equipped with knowledge in your home kitchen. 
I'm going to wrap up with some fun ideas on how to use your home canned chicken because I know some of you have listened today and you're excited and then you're going, okay, how do I use it? <laughs> I've got it in a jar. Now what do I do? Well, if you uh, just want to put chicken in a jar, no seasonings, uh, no harm, no foul. There's some really delicious things you can do. I know I focus on soups a lot, but one of my favorites outside of like curry chicken soup, tacos, enchiladas, chicken Alfredo. It's really yummy if you make chicken Alfredo. Uh, you already have the Alfredo sauce from the store. You made some noodles, dump, you know, drain your can of uh, home canned chicken and uh, heat that up and add it to the mixture. It's amazing. But one of my favorites is my Mexican pulled chicken recipe. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Now that one is in my first and independently published cookbook, Canning Full Circle. Um, oh my goodness, it is so yummy. And the flavors are just so authentic. And it's, it's, I, I can't speak of it enough. I actually am very proud to say that when my son was playing football, I volunteered to to uh, feed the team one night, and uh, us parents would we, we'd all pick a night to do that uh, weekly, and uh, there wasn't a drop left. And I made two huge roasting pans of my Mexican pulled chicken, and um, I was kind of excited to take some leftovers home, and there wasn't anything left. <laughs> so that was very good for them, but I. I I'll admit I was a little bummed out, like, darn it, I was hoping I'd have that for lunch tomorrow. But um, I highly encourage you, uh, that one is, um, I will be putting it on my website uh, eventually. I'm going to, um, I've made some tweaks to it uh, because I like making it so much that I'll put the tweaked version on my website. But for those of you that have my cookbook, Canning Full Circle, that recipe is uh, in there and it is fabulous. If you don't have my cookbook, I highly encourage you to uh, pick up a copy on my website at canningdiva.com. And um, you know what I want you to do after listening to this podcast is make sure you follow me on social media and share with all of us some of the wonderful things you've created with your home canned chicken. Because, you know, I give you ideas and I share my recipes, but I know you folks are creative and I know you'll come up with some really cool things that maybe none of us ever thought of. So anyway, I thank you all for tuning in. It is my pleasure to be the canning diva and to give you this information. I wish all of you a wonderful day and, of course, happy canning. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Canning with the Diva. For tips, recipes, and techniques, please visit us online at canningdiva.com. <laughs>